Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 251 with Mary Henderson. How are you, Mary? Hi, Dale. How are you? I'm very good. And now we've just had a great chat. We're both joining from Melbourne today. It's so refreshing to have someone that lives in this beautiful, and today as well, I suppose, it's been sunny, it's been raining, and as we've had everything. So how are you? I'm really, really good. Actually, speaking of weather, you know, the first thing I did this morning is I took my children, we went for a walk by the beach, and it was just absolutely gorgeous this morning. It was calm, you know, and I think what a great way to start the morning, you know, just being centred and grounded. So you've got me on a really good day. (laughs) (laughs) Good to hear. Is that that something like, I I know um, we're both just talking before, we're both fortunate to live near the beach. Is that something that you try and do as part of your daily routine because there's, I don't know, there's a stat out there that people who live near water are happy and you seem happy today. Mary, I'm quite happy. Is, is that something you I, do each day? You know what, Dale? I actually do have a bit of a, uh, maybe call it a ritual, a routine. I'm not sure what you want to call it, but, you know, I'm very passionate about my well-being, you know, like my mind, my body, my soul. Like I really do nurture my well-being. I truly believe that if we want to be successful in all aspects of our life, I truly believe that we need to embody what health really means. And, and, and I really mean that. And so for me, starting my day with breathing exercises or writing in my journal or doing my prayer work or walking on the beach, it's all about embodiment of truth because that's really what it is and for me it's all about expansion and that's why I do a lot of that sort of work every day Mm, I I love hearing that I think it's the more people that share those messages Mary the more hopefully people that may not do it or know the benefits of it may adapt some of it Um, is is that something that and a lot of people say is trial and error you don't always find the thing that works for you straight away but over years and years of practice you find what works and it sounds like if you finally got that I think that that's a really great question, actually, because, you know, I've been on, you know, I I was born as a very curious child, as it was. So therefore, I was always going to ask those big questions and go on that big quest from a very young age. I think in my 20s, that's when, you know, I started to walk down the road less travel. It didn't seem like that, but looking back now, that's really what it was. So, you know, you, I think most of us start in the self-help space. You know, we're trying to look for the crack in the door that we can look through and then start to walk down that path. And I think that self-help is an invitation. I don't think there's a solution. It's not a solution, but it's an invitation. So, I've always been on that path, Dale. And, you know, and then it wasn't until my 30s, my mid-30s, that I started to really, really take my life serious. And I think that's the only way I can describe it. And then based on that, um, I think you find modalities and you try everything and you're because you're trying to find the thing that resonates with you. And for me, right now in where I'm at in my life, it, and I said the word expansion before and embodiment, but to me, it's really quite simple. It really is understanding, you know, the power of the breath. And that, that for me is 
what I have found that has made a huge difference in my life. And I don't want all of the other noise and I don't want to look for anything outside of myself. I really, really, really have always and more so now searched inside of myself because the answer's in me it's not out there so yeah so I think that over trials and tribulations breathing has been an an incredible part of my daily routine Mm, I absolutely love that and I couldn't agree more and I think there's a quote recently that I was uh, talking in a presentation if you don't make time for your wellness you'll be forced to make time for your illness Um, and I think particularly after two years of was nearly two years to the date uh, that we have, uh, particularly Melbourne, yes. that's a, a lovely feather in the bow that uh, we've been the most locked down. But um, I think people are starting to realise now how important looking after yourself is. There's not something anyone else can do, Mary. You have to look after yourself, don't you? Well, you're absolutely right. And actually, just on that, you know, last uh, four weeks, I've been recovering from, a, a, you know, like this really long stint of just not feeling well. And, you know, like there was just, and, and it made me realize, and I mean, you know, weekly blood tests, trying to figure out what's going on. And I'm a very healthy person, you know, like I really, really, really try. I mean, you know, we're an organic family, you know, I cook every night, like I'm really conscious of how I cook, how I eat, all of that thing. And I'm thinking, what could possibly go wrong? But it's not about what could possibly go wrong, because some minor thing could create a ripple effect in your body, you know, and we we just don't, we, 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 and I think that's very, very important to, to acknowledge that. So, you know, for me, like being out of action or feeling like I'm not at my optimum, that's actually a really big deal for someone that's high energy, you know, I'm constantly, you know, thinking, writing, expanding my consciousness. And to not be able to do that was a really big deal, but it also made me realize oh my God, this is why I really need to put me first. And, you know, one one thing that we haven't had in our family since 2012 is we don't have a TV. So we don't watch TV. There's no Netflix. There's no news. There's no poisoning of the mind. So I have no idea what goes on out in the outside world. So when people talk about COVID and lockdown and all that sort of stuff, the only way I hear about it is if I'm on social media or someone at the coffee shop tells me. That's literally how I found out. Oh, so what are the rules today? Oh, you've got to wear masks. Oh, okay, I've got it in my bag. So it was literally like that. But 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 looking after yourself, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually, I think is an absolute must have. Mm, it's very funny you say that because people are thinking, particularly over COVID, that eating well, exercising, they're the main things, but stress and anxiety at all time high because, you know, that constant news cycle, the the negativity over and over and over again. So was that an, I suppose, easy decision to remove a TV? And so part two though, Mary, now it sounds like a genius stroke because you didn't get two years of just constant negativity and it's continuing on. Well, the thing is that I think that until you can consciously make that decision to actually switch it off or within our case, it was completely removed the physical box. And, um, And you you know what's amazing about that, Dale, is that there's not a day that goes by that I've actually thought about it or missed it. Like just it doesn't even enter my my thought process. And the reason it doesn't enter in my thought process is because when you give that up, 
you make room to really expand your mind and nourish your mind and 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 embody the things that you learn and do something with it and so then what you the knowledge that you gain suddenly starts to become experience which then converts to wisdom and for me this is the most important aspect of my life is I don't want to be distracted with things that don't matter or things that are fake or things that are just untruthful and unlawful. So I'll just let that go and I'll just continue as as a human being doing the right thing. I'm a lawful abiding citizen, you know, but also I have a family to look after. And my job as a parent is to bring truth into my home and that we can... um, and that my children understand that. So my kids have never been brought up with, you know, superheroes and Batman and Superman. Um, we don't even, you know, I've, I, from day one, I told them there's no Santa Claus, there's no Easter Bunny. So I speak to my children as people, not as little little kids, you know, like I don't do that. And it's never been like that. And I'm so grateful that I was able to do that. But honestly, giving up, you know, something like a TV played a huge role in all of those decisions that we made as parents. And it's, I could imagine some people would find that pretty confronting um, because a TV, I've got a little one at home and when you just need a little break, you put Bluey on, you're like, oh, that's just 10 minutes. But they're bad habits you're forming. And I know I'm doing this myself. Those bad habits continue on. Like what you were talking about, starting the morning the right way. It's very similar, isn't it? Well, the thing is that, you know, it is confronting for a lot of people. You know, I mean, I homeschooled my children for the first four years of their life. That was confronting for a lot of people because middle class Australians don't understand that concept. Why don't they understand that concept? Because people want to keep up with the Joneses. And that mm-hmm. narrative means you've got to give it up. You have to not be a part of that the, the hamster wheel life you know get the 2.2 houses the 3.5 cars have your big holiday once a year you know mortgage yourself to the hills just to keep up with everybody else because it's all a narrative everyone's playing a game and I could see this you know just with my circle of influence that I was with going back then I'm like but these if I wasn't if I didn't maintain or have this narrative that matches theirs, would they actually be my friends? The answer was a very hard no. I knew. And I was at a function and I just looked around. And I'm like, there's not one person in this room that I really like or that I really, really, really want to befriend as like my heart friend. And the reason why I'm here is because all these people are connected through the private schools that their kids go to. I wasn't. I just knew this person, you know, because of a, a past uh, connection. And But I, I just didn't want to be in that conversation because the only thing which I found interesting that the women were talking about was their school drop-offs and pickups and what happens in between. Here I am, an entrepreneur, businesswoman, you know, like creating software solutions, and I'm thinking... I can't actually be myself here because I don't know how to talk about school drop-offs and pickups because that's of no interest to me at all. And so it was very easy for me to drop that narrative, to drop that social circle, to drop all of those things that were creating this false identity of who I was. And I realized, Dale, that if I want to be the best version of myself, I need to get rid of all that stuff because that's false. That's a false self. I don't want to be there. I just want to be the best version of myself and I want to create impact. So that was just, you know, and my life has been like that um, from that day 
onwards. So when you talk about the road less travelled, yeah, that's the path I've been on for a very long time and I'm still on and have zero regrets about that as well. Boom. That is very powerful, yeah. Mary. I'm sitting here and people are like, wow, entrepreneur, very good entrepreneur so far for what you're saying. I can really resonate with that. Um, sometimes though, making those decisions is really hard. It's a lot easier just to stay on that hamster wheel and try and keep up with everyone yeah. else and play that, ah, oh, this is what I've got, this is what I've got, but actually stepping back because those sort of people are the ones when you're on lockdown or you're lonely or whatever, they're the ones that are so far, they're nowhere to be found. Um, so it's really about influencing the people around you that really matter. And it doesn't go any further than the people at your home, um, your kids, you know, your close family and friends. I love that. So Barry, you really sort of painted the picture a little bit about yourself as a person, um, as a mother at home. What about your background with work? I know you mentioned creating software, entrepreneur, um, you're a personal branding expert, which I really want to get into because everybody's got a personal brand. It doesn't matter what you do. You are your own personal brand. I want to talk about that, but do you want to paint the picture to everyone a little bit about who you are and what you've created in your background? Absolutely. So, so I started my career in corporate in, and realistically, you know, my career really took off in the IT sector back in year 2000. And it was there at year 2000. I had this amazing job. It was middle management, but it was like an, one of those uh, sliding door moments. It was it, it set the trajectory of the rest of my life and that I'm here today because of that, this one experience that happened in that job. So being in the IT sector, I had this like I came face to face with what the true meaning of a personal brand actually was. And that's what I did. I built a brand in the industry to come to command my own demand or demand my command my own demand, essentially. Yep. And that's and that's what I did. You know, so I then got headhunted by an American company and I was VP of sales for a big IT company, 30 salespeople here in Australia. It was just magical. But I took that business from 4 million to 48 million, sorry, to 50 four million in 48 months because I turned all of my salespeople into individual brands and we built that business based on who they were in their natural state of being so that's where my career kind of formed this idea around personal branding and of course I had a whole system behind sales which was very much based on relationship building not script you know speaking so that was that bit for sales and personal branding in year 2005 I started my own software company, which was building web-based software for the academic sector. I saw a massive gap in that sector. I knew nothing about software development or web-based software development. I just saw an opportunity, um, you know, and I, I, I was fortunate to get uh, introduced to a major pharmaceutical company. And it was there with the CIO that we sort of worked together on creating and building this, um, the business that I, I became for seven years. And it was in that business, I had a cognitive scientist that worked in my business and he was quite a critical part of my business because we just didn't build software. What we did is reverse engineered what the user needed and wanted to experience in the way that they wanted to consume content. So he taught me how to reverse engineer what's going on in the consumer's mind and design products for that person in the way they want to experience it. So I learned a lot about frameworks. I learned a lot about building systems, algorithms, all of that wonderful stuff. And that became a big part of my learning curve for those seven years. Then in 2011, I um, had my second child. And 
in September of 2011, three hours after he was born, I had the greatest epiphany of my life and realized that really this software business is not really uh, my dream. It's not my purpose. I just bought myself a job because essentially what I was looking for is for my parents to tap me on my shoulder and say, oh, Mary, we're so proud of you, (laughs) even though you didn't finish your degree. Those words were pivotal for me. So I knew when I left that hospital that I would resign from my own company. And I did that within a two-week period. Fortunately, I was able to merge my company with another company. And in January 2012, I took a 12-month sabbatical. I gave up TV, friends, credit cards. Um, I had a lot of mentors around me that were holding a space because I really was empty inside, Dale. On the outside, I looked successful, happy, the beautiful cars, the, the, the penthouse apartment that we lived in, and I just wanted out. I did not want that life anymore. I just wanted out. And... Um, And I just took 12 months off. I just spent 12 months with my children. I had the most amazing mentor who was a professor in philosophy in Oxford University. And he was was the one that actually shifted my entire paradigm and the trajectory for the rest of my life. And it was in that 12-month period where I realized, oh, my God, like I have got real amazing skills knowledge and wisdom and I can actually solve a major problem in the world so I'm going to merge those and see what I come up with well from that day I uh, took me three years to actually design my entire system and we built software that's embedded in my system in my coaching program essentially and um, and basically the three loves of my life sales building systems uh, and personal branding have become my vocation boom I, uh, that is, that is a really powerful story. And what I've taken away from that is you really needed to step away from everything you're doing and just stop to allow that to occur, didn't you? And I I feel a lot of people get scared in that space, Mary, because it's uncertainty. They don't know what's happening in it. And it is, it's scary. Um, But without that, you wouldn't be where you are right now. Well, Dale, you know, actually funny that you say that I just wrote a post this morning on on LinkedIn and I was sharing that, you know, exactly that, Um, you know, my greatest lesson thus far, especially on this journey that I've been on, you know, being a full time coach has been that. The universe doesn't work in my timeline. The universe works in its timeline. And and the reason it does that is because I believe that it teaches us two very, very important lessons. One is patience and the other one is trust. And until you can embody those two things, nothing is going to work towards your end goal. You're going to always be one step forward, two steps back, not because there's something wrong with you, but I truly believe that energetically we need to embody those two things in order for us to move forward. Because whilst we're planting all the seeds and they're starting to grow a little bit like by little bit, we can't see the bloom happening. But I can assure you it is happening. It's growing underneath the soil. But once we can embody that under true understanding and embrace patience um, fully and trust fully, then the bloom starts. And so we have to accept that. Some people do have overnight success, but I do also believe that those people have been planting seeds for years and years and years, Mm -hmm. and their time has arrived. And sometimes our time has arrived, 
So looking back at my journey now, Dale, I think, well, of course I had to learn all of that. Of course I had to do that. Of course I had to do that because there's no way I could be where I am right now had I not done all of that and experienced all of that. So I'm a very different coach today than what I was, say, in 2016 or 17. And I think that's because everything you learn you embody. And the more you learn, the more you embody it. It becomes a part of your DNA. And so therefore you become really wise and you speak from a place of conviction and passion. You're not pushing, you're pulling people into your beautiful ecosystem because you want to create a space for other people to experience what you've experienced. And I think that that's sort of where I'm at right now. And I, I love that. And the word trust, I think when you mentioned trust before, a lot of people think trust is with other people, but I think the big thing, and like you've just said, you've got to trust yourself, trust what you do and trust that things will work out. And that's probably the scariest thing, the unknown, like I said, that people, that it's a, it's a really eerie sort of hard feeling that you have to go through to actually see what's on the other side. You've got to see the blossoms, like you said, but that trust in yourself have you always had that? Because coming across here, you're very confident. I, I think that's something you've had, but um, I know a lot of other people don't have that much trust in themselves. Is that something you've always had? You know what, Dale? That's actually a really great question. And the way that I break it down is really, you know, I just use a lot of common sense. I'm a pragmatic person. Have a look at where it starts, though. It actually starts in the school system. We're not allowed to trust. We have to <laughs> either get it right or it's wrong. There's no in-between, okay? So if you're wrong, how do you trust the process of self-inquiry or curiosity or imagination? Where does that come into the system? It doesn't. So what happens is that we grow up as children and we're not taught how to trust because trust e equals failure. Do you see what I'm saying? So oh, we're taught in the school system, all we're taught is, okay, you have to do it this one way because that's the right way. God forbid if you get it wrong because if you do there's something wrong with you so then we get into adult life and we're like I just need to make sure that my whole life is right I have to get everything <laughs> right I have to be an A plus student I've got so let me tell you what I think a lot of adults and I said this in another pod, uh, podcast interview a couple of weeks ago adults are still students and their employers have become the teacher. That mindset hasn't changed. It's just that we're getting older, but we're still behaving like a student and a teacher relationship, which therefore means we want to always be right, the goody-goody. You know, we always got to get the A+. Plus. And so... I was not that child at school. I was the opposite. I mean, I was not rebellious, but I was, I used to question everything and think this is really stupid. Like this doesn't make sense. I don't understand why I'm being taught this way. So I already questioned the system from a very, very young age. Now, my parents are migrants, okay? So I come from a Greek heritage. That we're not, that's not encouraged in a Greek family because every Greek family wants their kid to become a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or something along those lines. And my parents did as well. I just knew that that was not my path. I was too creative. My imagination was such a big, important part of my life. But going back to this idea of trust is really scary, it's only scary because we understand it from one perspective. We've never challenged that paradigm. And it's not until you challenge the paradigm, that's when you can start seeing for yourself the truth 
of the matter rather than following the narrative that we've been fed generation after generation why don't we challenge that paradigm and let's see what we actually discover for ourselves that's the starting point in my opinion oh and i couldn't agree more and like you just said the schooling system it's not the teacher's fault they're told what to do it's it's a hierarchy it's the structure of it very funny thing i'm getting employed by a lot of schools now to because kids don't want to try new things, Mary. They're too scared of failing what people are thinking. They're judging. So coming up with ways to make that okay. It was interesting in Finland, I think it was like the 14th of October or something, they celebrate National Failure Day. So everybody celebrates something that they tried that didn't work. Instead of it being a negative, that's a positive. I think these are the narratives that we need to try because without failure without things don't working how do you actually grow how do you actually know what's happening it's it's so true isn't it you can't and in my home i teach my children about the power of failure like it's actually a, an amazing conversation for us at home and and i don't call it failure in like Good. from the standpoint of oh wait you know you failed you naughty boy i look at failure as learning Okay, so I said in my, and I always share the story of my failures in my business. It went, when I started my business in 2000, all the different failures I had. But then I said to my children, but I couldn't do what I do now had I not experienced those failures because I learned what didn't work. So I had to make it better and find other ways to enhance that experience. But the baseline was there. It's not that it wasn't, it was a failure. It's just that the total concept didn't work I had to make changes to that concept in order for it to work and that didn't take a minute it's taken years so so failure in our family is a discussion about learning that's that's the only way I can I don't even I don't even like the word failure I just think that it's there's such negative connotations because again it goes back to a plus b plus Mm. it's ridiculous yeah grading correct And that's, and that's essentially what we're doing is we're grading kids, we're comparing them, then they get out in the real world and that doesn't happen. They're left to their own accord and we want them to be creative. We want them to have all these different skill sets that we're essentially drumming out of them with the comparison that they get in the schooling system. It's, uh, I don't know. So w- when you're dealing with people now, Mary, how important are skills like, you know, relationship building, creativity, these things that sort of go against what we teach them in schools? extremely important uh that's probably my priority in my home than anything else because everything can be learned but creativity is a part of your soul it's a part of your dna imagination is also a part of that so these are faculties that we've been given so we need to use them but what does the school system do it crushes that so when you leave school you become a left brain robot well, we need to go to the right side and we need complex problem solvers. We need creative thinkers. We need people to create the next Amazon, the next Tesla, the next, you know, whatever companies. And because kids are different today, you know, okay, they're born in the in, in, in the genera in the digital generation. I get that. And I'm not even opposed to that, by the way. I, I think that there's a lot of learning that goes on. Uh, in when kids play games as long as it's safe okay so parents need to be conscious of what's going on so I'm really conscious with my two children when they're online and I'm constantly listening to what's going what conversations are happening the doors are open I can I'm on top of everything but the thing is what I also know 
Otis on the other side, Dale, is that they learn how to negotiate. They learn, you know, how to collaborate. They learn how to do deals. They learn how to build relationships. They learn how to ask questions. They're actually even learning how to write. You know, so there's so many positives, but there's also equally so many negatives. It just has to be managed. But here's my word. My word is balance and grounding. Like if you have to have balance in every aspect of your life, it can't just be a one-way street. So, so I feel that, you know, in this society that we're living in, which is completely crazy, every parent and every human needs to be responsible for themselves and also for their household. Everything else outside of that, we have no control, nothing. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do is make ourselves amazing humans, highly conscious human beings, and make sure our children understand what that actually means. So when they go out into the outside world, they're critical thinkers, number one, and they use common sense. And they're the two things that I feel are missing and tolerance, sorry, is number three. They're the three things that I feel are missing in society today. Mm, I agree. I reckon tolerance is sort of a little bit of empathy as well, that they sort of go hand in hand there, Mary. I reckon both of those together, very important skill set. So with that being said, everyone's got a personal brand and we've spoken about that today. Um, that's the way you show up. It's what people think of you. It's what they read about you. It's what it's everything to do with you. People are wanting to improve their personal brand. What are, what are a couple of simple little things that I love giving people a couple of ideas to take away? I know there's so many, but what are a couple of simple things listeners could do right now today to improve their personal brand? We need to understand what personal branding is first and foremost, Dale. Personal branding is you, the business, okay? So it's you, the human being that is representing your business. Even if you've got a company that's $20 million, you still are a brand as a human because people buy from people, okay? So that's step number one. The second thing is when we're creating the brand essence, okay, what we're essentially doing is we're unpacking attributes that make up who we are as a human being in our natural state of being. So this is where authenticity lives. And so authenticity is not out there. Authenticity is in here. And authenticity is made up of your natural gifts, your natural talents, your value system, what you stand for, your skills, your knowledge, your abilities, your passions, all of these attributes make up your personal brand. And the personal brand is critical to fully identify in terms of your brand architecture and in terms of your brand positioning, your value propositioning, all of that stuff is critical because it actually forms the foundation for every single communication touch point in your business. It also, and most importantly, creates brand currency and social currency around that. So even if you are, say, a CFO of a major corporation and you're looking at moving to another company, you still need to have that brand currency, say, on your LinkedIn profile. People need to see what you believe in, what you're passionate about, what your skills are, what your knowledge is, what, what is your expertise. And that's why social media, like a LinkedIn platform, is so powerful for those type of people because people will judge you just based on what they see on LinkedIn. And if you're an entrepreneur, you know, we need to make sure that our 
social media profiles are congruent, they're consistent, they make sense, they, they, they tell a story because otherwise there's a disconnect and people won't know what you stand for, they won't know what you do, they won't know what problem you can solve and they won't know who you serve. So we need to have that level of consistency and clarity across everything that we do. Mm, it's so true, that consistency. And I think people miss misunderstand that sometimes mary about being consistent with daily posts or um things that aren't important like nobody is keeping track on how many instagram posts you do or oh did you do a a linkedin profile update every second day like no one cares about that that's not consistency is it no i think that when i'm talking about consistency it's all about being strategic and deliberate so when we're creating brands whether it's corporate brand in my case it's a personal brand you know we need to be thinking i need to be strategic and deliberate in every move that i make because my end goal is to pursue my mission and leave a legacy. That's what that's the driver for people that are creating personal brands. There's a real mission, there's a real legacy that's the driver behind it. So, you know, so we it's not about just randomly showing up and doing a little bit here and a little bit there. It really is about understanding what is my purpose? Why am I doing this? What do I want to convey? What do I want people to know about me? How do I want people to feel about me? What do I want them to live? with when they're reading something about me or watching a video so it really is about understanding what is the strategy that you're going to have behind your brand and how are you going to show up on a day-to-day basis across all uh, uh, social media platforms and off social media so that you are memorable and that's the key here it's mm, so true it's not just about that presence you have online more so than ever that human connection is like when you've got the opportunity to be around people, that presence, the energy you bring is so important. Um, And I think people are realizing that now when we haven't been able to exist, we're doing it all through screens. We're doing it all through Zoom. Um, That is so important. So Mary, people listening here just going, wow, I, I can resonate with all this. I need more of it. Where can we find you? Yes, please go to my website, maryhendersoncoaching.com. You can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn um, at Mary Henderson Coaching with a pink circle around my uh, photo or just send me an email, mary at maryhendersoncoaching.com. Fantastic. Well, this is episode number 251 and I'll have links for everything that Mary's just mentioned there. So please reach out. I know a lot of time podcasts are fantastic, but if something hit home, reach out to Mary because she wants to know the impact she's having and that's what she's trying to achieve. So um, for giving up your time today, Mary, thank you so much to have a fellow Melbourneian on the podcast. What a treat. I know. I agree with you. Thank you, Dale, for having me. I really do appreciate you too a lot. Thank you.